Well, good morning, beloved, and Merry Christmas. It's so good to see you. It's so good to gather together to celebrate all of this season means, um, but really what all of life means. And so if you have your copy of scripture, I would encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We will be continuing our survey of the gospel according to Luke. So Luke chapter 2 is where we will be today. While you're turning there, um, do you remember the movie Mary Poppins? Yeah, Mary, there's more than one. I didn't know that. Well, goodness, now I'm confused. Um, Mary Poppins, I just know the original. At least I hope it was the original. Uh, you remember, like, kind of fun, whimsical, like, it's crazy, magical. Like, there's this lady comes in on an umbrella, and she just changes everyone's life. And it's amazing. It's just full of just all kinds of, like, foul, like, weird things that are just fun. I, like, yeah, so you know Mary Poppins. But have you seen the trailer for Scary Mary? No? No one? Okay, well, I really wanted to show you, but it would really feel weird, given that we're celebrating Christmas. But Scary Mary, uh, there's a trailer, and so what happened is this guy, um, Mary Poppins has been around, like, just iconic, everybody knows Mary Poppins. This guy was like, what if I changed the trailer? And so he created a trailer for Scary Mary, which is all scenes out of Mary Poppins, but he's done the, like, fast montage where it's jumping back and forth of different visuals and different scenes, and it's all set to this just terrifying, creepy horror movie movie type music. And so imagine, cue the scary music, the like, and then like all of a sudden there's just like this flashing scene with this crazy lady coming in out of the sky with an umbrella, and then it goes black. And then you open it up, and the, the one scene where the person's just like spinning around really fast, and then it goes black, and then the scene where the person's sucked up in a chimney and it goes black, and it's just one scene after another that's absolutely terrifying. Like I would not watch the movie because it would give me nightmares. And it's just, it's like brilliantly done. And we know, if you've seen Mary Poppins, that, that is absolutely not representative of what Mary Poppins is really about. But if all you saw was Scary Mary the trailer, then you would never want to watch Mary Poppins unless you're into that kind of horror film thing. But this is the thing, like this points us to this reality that just getting pieces out of a story can give you the entirely wrong impression of what that story is actually about. And my fear is that is so often what happens for us with Christmas. Is it's kind of like getting the, the trailer montage of like, you get this scene, this scene, this scene, and it's like, nativity, look, baby, silent night, all is calm and peaceful. You've been in a birthing room? You know it's not like that. But like all this stuff, and it's just like, angels are singing, wise men are coming with gifts. Like it's just this beautiful thing that like crescendos into Jesus, Christmas, here it is. And I think so often, we see that, and we miss that there's this entire story being played out. That you don't know the gravity of this moment. You don't know the gravity of Christmas unless you know where this particular scene fits in the entirety of the story. And so we're going to read the Bible together today, like the whole thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I would love it. We'll be here for weeks, though. I've, I know. I used to know the time that it took, but. Anyway, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you turned in Luke chapter 2, uh, read with me, starting with the first verse. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And so if you remember last week, we left off with these birth announcements, the angelic mic drops where Gabriel shows up and is like, guess what? You're having a baby. And Zachariah's like, I'm old, she's old. Like, how's this gonna happen, everything? And he's like, you won't talk. I'm out. And then he shows up to Mary. He's like, hey, you're gonna have a baby. She's like, I'm a virgin. This is weird. Like, I kind of know the science here and that's not happening. He's like, no, this is gonna be the son of God. Like, you can see from the Holy Spirit. And so now we fast forward Mary is genuinely pregnant, and yet now there's this historical event that's happening. It's where they have to go and register for a tax. So there's a registration taking place. Now they're traveling. And so Luke, remember, is writing this gospel, and he's writing this gospel with an aim of providing, knowing the certainty of the things in which you've been instructed. So he's writing to Theophilus, and the entirety of this book is to try to help Theophilus know you can have a certainty about this good news. And remember, Luke is a doctor. He has investigated. He has researched all this stuff. He's done these interviews. And so he's writing in a way that he wants to help abate any of the doubt. He wants to calm the fears, the questions. He wants to answer them in a thorough way. And so this is beautiful because we see that mind at work here where he's giving very, very historic information. Hey, at this time that you can go back in history and see this was the governor this was the, the, the edict that was sent out, like, this is what's happening. And so you can know this with certainty. This gives us a lot of certainty. Because in today's culture, a lot of people want to say, well, the Bible is just another myth. Like the whole Jesus Christmas narrative, that whole thing, it's just a myth like all these other crazy myths out of the Hittites and Babylonians and all this stuff. Like, it's just, it's just a bunch of myths. And yet Luke provides such detail that if you look at ancient myths, that is not at all how they are written. Ancient myths are like, there was a man who came from there and came and, and there's just like this like high level information. Whereas Luke is like, let's dive in and I'll tell you exactly who was reigning in the region and why they were coming here. Like you can know there's a certainty to this. This is not a myth. And this also is Luke giving us a certainty of you can look in the Old Testament and see prophecy of where the Messiah would be born. And it's Bethlehem. And yet we know Jesus was a Nazarene. He's from Nazareth. So in the early church, you'd be asking this question, like, wait a second, like, I've read this prophecy, he's to be born in Bethlehem, but like, Jesus is known as the Nazarene, like all this stuff, so, so how do I reconcile those two? And Luke's like, well, this is why he was actually in Bethlehem and was born there as a Nazarene. Because this actual thing happened in history that made Joseph and Mary come together here in this city of David in Bethlehem. And so this is where he leaves it off. Now, verse seven. Verse seven, he says, then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. What? Like, think about this. When you see all of creation, you walk outside in the morning, the sun is coming up and just breaks the horizon and you see just the the palette of colors and the, the grandeur of God on display. Like, I love that moment where it's like, you can see the effect of the sun and it's creating this beautiful painting and yet you look over here and there's still the stars and you just see this kind of like collision of like, wow, I am nothing. And you are so big. You made all of this and you made it so glorious. that The heavens proclaim the Lord's handiwork. Like that all of creation is screaming to the existence of God. His invisible attributes have been on display throughout creation, so we're all without excuse. Like you just look around, you look in the mirror and you think, 
all of this is still, like, I'm still breathing, and I'm not telling myself to breathe. Like, my heart is ticking. Like, there's so much complexity to all of this. And it screams that there is a God, and he's gracious to us. And so we think of that God who would make all of this and all of that magnitude, and you think, okay, there's a promise that this is broken. There's still great beauty here, and yet it's broken. We see the brokenness. But that God has made a promise that he's going to come and he's going to make it right again. And so we're waiting with expectation that he's going to come. And so how would we expect the God who has made all of this, how would we expect him to enter into this brokenness? We would expect a lot of fanfare. We would expect, like, we associate power with just, like, prestige and and all of the, the display of power comes with someone who has power. And yet this is what we see. That the God of the cosmos would enter in to fulfill his promise and he comes in to a virgin young lady while she's not even home, making it that much more difficult for them. There's no guest room available and so they're likely in a cave or stable, some sort of animal place. And she gives birth in those circumstances and they wrap this baby up in cloth and lie him in a feeding trough. And that is God in flesh lying in a device made for animals to eat out of it. Those camels with those wicked long tongues were licking out of that before he was placed in that. That is wild. Why would God enter in this way? Why would he come in such humble circumstances? So we continue on verse eight. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. That shepherds are nearby, out just doing their job, trying to keep the sheep from killing themselves. Stay together, guys. Here, all together. No wolf, you can't come over here. Is that a lion? I'm not dealing with a lion tonight. I don't even know. They're just doing their deal. These are shepherds. They're probably exhausted, want to go to sleep, but this is the job. We gotta keep the flock together. And they're, like, culturally, they're nobodies. This, this, this is not like someone that you would, like, encounter, be like, oh, ooh, better straighten up my shoulders here. I'm about to meet a shepherd. No, this is like, you're just average, run-of-the-mill guy. Shepherds are here, and these angels show up and give this announcement that today there's good news that is coming these shepherds receive the third birth announcement in the gospel of Luke. And that is so significant for us to notice because these shepherds are not related to the one who is born. They're not family. And that tells us something beautiful, that this birth is not just about you, Mary, you, Joseph. This is about all people. This is for the common people. This is for the lowborn people. This is for us. Like, how beautiful is it that God enters into humanity And the first people who receive news of it are not the priests, not the kings, not anyone of prestige, but some shepherds who happen to be out in the field trying to stay awake, watching their flock at night. This is good news for us. 
this announcement. Uh, look at verse 11. It says, uh, Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. That angel knew what he was doing. He would be a great preacher. He just packed in three titles that tell us everything we need to know about who this baby is. Who is this? This is Savior. This baby who was born is Savior. He is deliverer. He is the one who will rescue. He is salvation. This is Savior. This is Messiah. This is the one who has been called forward. He is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. This is the one who has been foretold of. This is Messiah. And this is Lord. That baby lying in a feeding trough, he's holding everything together. He has all the power in the universe. He is sovereign Lord. He is an authority. That is who's in that feeding trough. This manger holds God in flesh. And the angels get to hear this news. So they hear this news and what do they do? Verse 15, says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. New Testament scholar Frederick Danker, he says it like this. He says, the depth of spiritual commitment is determined by the quality of one's fidelity after the majestic voice is no longer heard. So the angels show up. We have a divine message for you. The Messiah is here. This is where you're gonna find him. And then they leave. And what do the shepherds do? They obey. They go. Why do they go? Why do the shepherds say, yes, I will immediately obey this angelic directive. <laughs> I'm going to go and find this baby. They go because they believe. And so if that's what, what was it they believe? They believe what they heard, this message, and what they saw. They saw heaven opened up, an angel there, and then the hosts of heaven joining this angel, celebrating, praising God, and they hear this message, look, good news for all the people. They hear this, they respond to it. This, so I want us to see this vision of heaven in connection to the message that they've received today. So let's consider it. What did they see? What did they hear? Starting with the message. What did they hear? Look at verse 10. The angel is speaking, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is good news of great joy for who? for all the people, for all the people. This is the message. There is good news for all the people. The world, shepherds, you're nobody. Shepherds, we have good news for you and the whole world. For all the people, this is good news of great joy for all the people. And then he continues in verse 11. He says, today in the city of David, this is the good news. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. So we go from, this is great news, great joy. This, this is for all the people, all the people, to, hey, no, a Savior was born for you. Beloved, do you hear me? A Savior was born for you. 
that the God of everything, he came for you, like you specifically. You were on his mind as he emptied himself of the glory that he held rightly and stepped into creation to be your rescuer, to be your savior, to be the Messiah, to be the sovereign Lord of all. He came for you. He came for you. And why would he come for us? Because this is a beautiful love story. This is a beautiful love story. Uh, The common language throughout scripture is that God relates to his people like we're married to him. That he is like the husband and we are the bride and the church becomes the explicit bride of Christ in the New Testament. That, That he loves us with this jealous love like a husband loves his wife. He longs for us. He yearns for us. And, and we love him. He is making us beautiful. There's so many beautiful promises wrapped up in this idea. This is a love story, that he loves us like this, that he has come to woo us, to win us to himself. The sovereign God of all has come to win our affections to himself. This is a beautiful love story. So the message, this is good news of great joy for all people, but a savior is born for you And why? Because this is a love story. Because he loves you. Because you are loved. That is the message. And then what is the vision that they see? I'll consider this. The vision. Verse 13 and 14. So an angel has shown up, given them this announcement. And now verse 13 and 14. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So what do they see? They see heaven break out into a party. They see heaven break out into celebration that this is a love story worth partying for. And note this though. Um, If you look specifically in verse 13, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host. Do you see the little footnote next to that? And you track that down into your end notes, your footnotes down there. And heavenly host is literally translated as heavenly army. They both work. So, oh, can I trust the Bible? No, they both work. But if you take this literally, it makes it a little weird. It's a little jarring. It's like, this is a love story. Guess who shows up? See heaven? There's a party happening. Who's partying in heaven? An army. Wait, there's an army? Wait, (laughs) is this a party? Like if the soldiers show up, I don't know if it's a party anymore. It's kind of weird. Like what's going on here? Why, Why is it like this? And this is actually very closely related to something that the Apostle John saw. We'll get into the weird book at the end of the Bible. Revelation. If you look at Revelation chapter 12, listen to this. Because John actually saw another vision that included Christmas. So as I read this, in John's vision of heaven, um, track with me and see if you can hear the story of Christmas in this as John has a vision of heaven. He says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Then war 
broke out in heaven. That John sees a vision that includes Christmas, a vision of heaven. As these shepherds see a vision of heaven where Jesus, God the Son, jumps out of heaven in love for his bride. I'm coming for you. This is a wonderful love story. And they see a party. And yet John sees a vision of heaven that includes the same story of the Son of God being born who will rule all the nations. Yet there's a dragon that's waiting to devour him. And the child is caught up to heaven. He ascends back to the throne. And the woman is out in the wilderness for a season. And what happens in heaven? War breaks out. War comes. This means war. Christmas is actually a declaration of war. This is an act of war. This means war. This is war on sin. That the sinless one would come to save sinners like you and me. This is war, war on death. That the one who could never die entered into humanity so that he could die the death that you and I deserve so that he could put an end to death forevermore. This means war. This is war on fear. All of what makes us afraid and like the shepherds to be terrified and need an angel to say, don't be afraid. This is God himself coming and saying, you don't have to be afraid because perfect love drives out fear. This means war. This is war on the curse of the fall. That Jesus would become the curse so that we would no longer be cursed. This means war. This is war on the brokenness that defines so many of our relationships because we're so afraid that there's a God who says, if anyone could hold it against you, it would be me, and yet I don't. I come to you in grace and mercy, having made it right myself, that we can be reconciled with God. It means that we can be reconciled with any of us in his grace. This means war. This is war on our entertainment craving, our ever-doling and dissatisfied souls. That he would say, I'll be your satisfaction. I'll be your joy forevermore. This means war on the battleground of our hearts, the causal seat of all of our affections. That this is actually both. It is a love story and it is an act of war. That the, the seat of of your affections, your heart, your love is what God is after. And this is what I'm begging you. Will you see his love for you? And will you love him? And this is this great act of war. And when you consider the shepherds see the party, the celebration of Jesus and coming to rescue his bride, and yet John sees war break out in heaven as Jesus comes to rescue his bride, like, ooh, like, how are they the same? Husbands, are you with me in this? If you take my wife, you take my wife, you hurt her, you threaten her, then yes, I will recognize the sovereign hand of God in instituting government, and I will probably call the cops and hope that they'll do something. And yes, I will also do my best to be obedient to Jesus and his teachings that I should suffer, and so I'll turn the cheek and I will suffer greatly, I hope, for my wife. But you better know this. If you take my wife, I will do everything I can to be there. I am coming. I'm not going to continue to just rely on the government. I am coming after my bride. This is heaven. Jesus. This is Jesus on Christmas saying, you took my bride and you've messed up. 
So I'm jumping out of heaven and I'm coming for her because I love her and you have messed up. This is Jesus saying, all right, it's wartime. I love her and I'm coming for you. This is good news of great joy for all people, but it's a savior born for you because he loves you. Like a husband should jealously love and defend his wife and say, you wanna come at my wife? You're gonna have to come to me first. Jesus says, I'm coming. I could do all things. Like he made everything. You would think like, okay, just rearrange creation. Send this aspect of your created order. Do whatever you need to do, God. And he's like, no, 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 it's not enough. I'm coming. This is what Christmas is, that Jesus jumps off the throne and says, I'm coming for you because he loves you. Like, can you see the way in which God loves us that he would enter this mess? And he would enter this mess in such humble circumstances that he's born and placed in a manger because there's no room for him? This is God of glory. And he's born into that likeness. Why? Because he wanted you to see where this is gonna end up. That just like this lowborn king is placed in a manger, there's no room for him that he would also die in the most humble of circumstances, a horrific death on a cross, because this is the ultimate expression of his love. This is what he came here for. Jesus didn't say, remember my birth, celebrate it year after year. He said, remember my death. This is why he came. So he could literally die in love for you. He would die for us to win us back. This is war. Jesus has come to war against everything that was hurting him his own. And he loves you. This is the joy of Christmas, that God would come chasing after us, that he would come. And so bottom line, when you think of Christmas, and throughout this week, and throughout your entire life, we just remember and celebrate and have great joy in knowing that Jesus came for you. He came for you. He loves us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you would send your son, that you, Jesus, would come in obedience, that you would submit to all of what it is to be human, to live a sinless life, to die the death that we deserve on the cross, to be our salvation through the sacrifice of your perfection, of your own life. So God, we thank you. We praise you. You glorious Christmas is such a wonderful time for us because we get to think of what it means that you would actually come after us. After millennia of expectation and longing for you to come and for you to come in such a shocking and surprising way. And yet now for us to have the privilege of seeing with certainty what you have done, that you came in humility when we expect iron fist and we would expect you to just crush everyone who stood against you and yet that was us and you love and you love so faithfully you love us to the end and say thank you that you came and it was a joy for you so God let it forevermore be a joy for us to lay down our life and live for you and I pray all this in Jesus name Amen